The China and Africa podcast is brought to you in partnership with the Africa-China Reporting Project at Witt University in Johannesburg. The ACRP promotes balanced, considered reporting on Africa-China relations through innovative training programs held throughout the year. More information at africachinareporting.co.za. Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the South African Institute of International Affairs in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. Kobus, there is this lovely tradition that the Chinese have in Africa that goes back uh, actually quite a long time. I don't know exactly how far, but the first visit of the year by the foreign minister customarily always begins in Africa. Every week for, it's usually in the, every year for about a week, maybe four or five countries are on his agenda. And uh, it always, it always starts the year that way. And I always thought that was such a pleasant uh, tradition. Uh, And despite all of the other demands on uh, Wang Yi's time, the foreign minister of China, uh, Africa is always there. And so it really, really reveals an importance about the trips that the Chinese take and how the Chinese value the face-to-face relationships. And it strikes such a dramatic contrast with how the United States and European countries see these visits. And it's not only high-level party visits from the likes of Wang Yi and Xi Jinping, but what is so interesting is how many provincial leaders go and how many at the administrative level are going. These visits are happening so often and at so many different levels that are really beyond the headlines. Um, It's just absolutely fascinating. So I'm just curious to get your take on it, whether or not you think that these visits, the symbolism of them matter, or is that just a talking point from the point of view of the Chinese? The I think they matter, and the way that that Wang Yi's visit uh, to Africa this year contrasted with the American position made it very clear. So the same, basically the same week that Donald Trump got the whole of Africa angry with kind of insulting comments, uh, Wang Yi was in Africa, busy touring from from country to country, four countries in total. And it just highlighted not only the difference, the difference in tone between the two, but also the fact that China favors this kind of, you know, person to person handshaking red carpet kind of meeting. Um, and I think it has a lot of power in Africa. The, also, the, the, the visits of African dignitaries to Beijing is at the same time that the spectacle of the African dignitary being actually received by China in Beijing, it carries a certain symbolic weight. And um, it's very interesting for me the role that one-on-one visits actually play in China-Africa relations. So where African leaders go may actually shed some light on their foreign policy, on Chinese priorities in Africa, or it may not actually. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We've got this fantastic infographic that was produced by Development Reimagined, and it's really the first of its kind. I haven't seen this in eight years of of doing China-Africa reporting. I've never seen a data, an infographic data point that actually points to where the visits are that correlate to foreign policy. And that's what's come out this past week. We posted it on our LinkedIn profile on our page there, and it received over 50,000 views. It's a topic that lots of people are discussing. And one of the authors of it is the CEO of Development Reimagined, Hannah Ryder, who's an old friend of our show, who joins us on the line once again from Beijing, China. Welcome back to the program. 
Thank you very much, Eric and Kobus. It's wonderful to, uh, to be with you today. Well, congratulations on the infographic. And, and by the way, one little side note about development reimagined that I just learned. You are the first Kenyan wholly, phone, wholly foreign-owned enterprise in China. <laughs> it's really just a, a neat little factoid about you guys. Yes, that's right. Uh, most of the, and actually most of the African uh, companies that operate here in uh, in China are usually joint ventures. Um, but we decided that it would be the right thing to actually go through the process of being a wholly foreign-owned enterprise. And uh, and yeah, we've we've made it. There are a few others uh, from other uh, countries in Africa, but but not so many. So it's it's we're trying to set the trend now. Oh, that's very cool. Well, part of what you do as an international development consultancy is to produce these types of insights that your infographic did. And the title of your infographic is, Who Does China Prioritize? And the visits tell us something about that. Let me give a couple headlines before we get into kind of some of the details of what you did with this infographic. 79 visits to 43 different African countries over the past 10 years. Now, that sounds like a lot, but I guess the key question is, what does this reveal about China's priorities in Africa about where these visits actually happened? Yes, well, um, this was exactly what we wanted to explore. And when we started off looking for the data, we really had no idea. You know, we had this idea, you know, uh, in the past, the media stereotypes that, you know, China prioritizes co- visiting corrupt countries, or maybe they'd be visiting the countries where they've got the most investment um, or you know, a whole set of other, a range of different possibilities. And we found that none of those are uh, necessarily the right explanations, nor is an explanation that China just visited, visits the poorest countries. Um, we found in particular that uh, South Africa was a top visited country overall, which really makes sense, uh, because in the past it has been the uh, most dynamic economy in the continent, and uh, and you know it was also it also hosted the uh, Forum on China Africa Cooperation Summit back in 2015, the last one. Um, but beyond that, there were some other there were some other countries which kind of didn't make so much sense. Well, we didn't we hadn't expected to come out. Um, Chad, for example, um, it's typically known as a fragile state. It had three visits out of those uh, out of the 79. Uh, Namibia was another. It's next to Angola and Angola is the country that has the most uh, loans from uh, from China in the continent. But it wasn't Angola that got the visits. It was Namibia, and Namibia doesn't typically feature in uh, in Chinese uh, uh, when we when we talk about the countries that China engages with. We don't usually talk about Namibia or Chad so much. Um, so it 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 really want, it really showed us that uh, doing this kind of investigation is is in a way useful because we can get behind uh, the the headlines to really to really get a. We, we really need to have a stronger understanding of how China interacts with, um, with African countries. And uh, doing these kinds of investigations can really, can really help us get a bit more of a picture as to, as to uh, what kind of strategy it has, and then for African countries themselves to align their strategy and, and take that into account in their strategies working with China. Can you talk us through how the survey was done? Like, how, how did you gather the data? And also, um, who is counted as a high-level visitor? What, what, what kinds of visits were included and which, which were excluded? 
Yes, very good point. Um, so let me start with your second question. Your second question was about the, the high-level visits. We we looked at the visits which had been done by uh, the the Chinese president, the Chinese uh, uh, premier or uh, uh, prime minister in as in in other in other words, uh, and also the foreign minister. So those were the only three uh, top leadership uh, that we that we looked at. Um, of course, there have been many other types of many other visits from uh, China's senior leadership and other senior officials, and so on, including uh, top. Uh, top members of the uh, CPC, but we just wanted to keep it fairly simple, um, and uh, so that was that was who we that was who we went with. And in fact, you know, even just with those three uh, positions, we found they'd made seventy nine visits, which is really quite astounding. The CPC, of course, referring to the Communist Party of China. Of course, yes. Sorry. Um, also, uh, we only looked at the last ten years. Um, these visits, especially the annual visit from the foreign minister, has be, have been ongoing from well before then. Um, it, certainly from 2003, there is some data. But because our methodology, so I'm coming to your first question, our methodology was to look through, we looked through media reports in uh, all uh, all possible languages, uh, the through Chinese, English, uh, French, a little bit of Spanish and uh, and Portuguese spoken on the continent. Um, so we looked for those types of media reports, and and we that was how we gathered the data. Uh, so we again, the reason why we kept it to that level of leadership was also because we expected those uh, we expected those uh, type of visits to receive uh, information to have information um, provided through the media, especially on Chinese outlets, uh, and also. Uh, we kept it 10 years for that reason as well. So 79 visits, 43 countries over 10 years. That seems like a lot, but it, let's get some context here. How does that compare to, say, the French, the British, or the Americans, or anybody else? What's the context for that? Uh, good question as well. Um, well, actually, I haven't put down... We haven't, we haven't uh, actually... Um, we haven't calculated the numbers for the US but I think it's quite telling for example uh, Theresa May was recently in China and there was an article just the other day about uh, whether about the UK global engagement um, a prime minister has not stepped on African soil since 2013 a UK prime minister so of course yes um, uh, other countries, I think French uh, French leadership have been to to Africa quite recently. Um, also Merkel too, uh, but uh, there are there are some some big uh, gaps, and even the U.S. Uh, has has you know Obama went to the U to Africa. He visited three countries in 2015, I believe. Um, but you know, it's that kind of record. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's nowhere near consistent every year for the leadership to do so for other countries. Even African countries themselves, even African leaders themselves. You know, of course, they will visit uh, other other African countries, but they don't certainly don't have the resources to make this kind of uh, regular visit across so many countries each year. I mean, it's on average seven 
on average, uh, over seven, con- seven, con- seven visits per year. So uh, it's quite a bit. One of the interesting points you, uh, the, the study makes is that there's a lot of perceptions that China tends to favor East Africa over West Africa. You know, there, there's, there's been some data showing that China tends to have more, more traction or more involvement with, with East Africa, um, among others, you know, because of the kind of French sphere of influence in, in West Africa. Um, but you, you're, Study shows that there's, despite the East, East Africa being an, an official node on the Belt and Road uh, route, there actually isn't that much difference between East and West Africa in terms of the visits. Yeah, no, and this was also quite interesting. Again, it was Southern Africa, particularly because of the dominance of of South Africa in in China's foreign policy so far, um, that has received the the majority of um, visits. And Eastern and Africa, Eastern and Western Africa are fairly uh, similar, and also Central Africa too. Um, Northern Africa seemed to be the least visited region, um, but on the other hand, uh, though Northern Africa. Um, uh, has a lot fewer countries in any case, um, so it was it was it was quite interesting to look at this perspective because, as you say, you know, especially going forwards, and one of the interesting questions will be: will this will this uh, will the focus of the Chinese leadership change as a result of the Belt and Road Initiative, and will that will the Eastern region get more uh, attention from the Chinese leadership? My inkling is probably not. Um, I think from the way that the from the way that the Chinese leadership seem to have approached visiting the African countries, it seems to be that, that they are trying to find a fairly uh, neutral distribution of uh, of of who they visit, and they take they really plan it quite carefully uh, to make sure that they're not particularly favouring one region or the other. Support for this podcast comes from the Africa Channel Reporting Project at Wits University School of Journalism in Johannesburg. The ACRP provides reporting grants, workshops, and other professional development opportunities for both African and Chinese journalists. Follow the ACRP on Twitter at Wits China Africa or visit africachannelreporting.co.za for information about grants and upcoming seminars. You know, today I posted on LinkedIn... Uh, a graphic that showed that China's imports of Zambian iron ore peaked in about 2013, 2014, and it's been a, a, just a sharp line down since then. And that graph in so many ways highlights the changing China-Africa relationship over the past three or four years. There's data that came out of uh, Barry Saltman in Hong Kong, who's a professor there, and he did some research showing that the peak of Chinese immigration to Africa was somewhere around 2013, 2014. Uh, Trade has been down since that time. It looks like there might be some slowing in investment as Belt and Road now draws away more investment towards uh, those other countries and, and away from Africa. And there's this general sense that Africa is a little bit too risky now in the portfolio in some parts. And there's a consolidation of the investment to some of the more stable parts of Africa. So uh, my point here is that the China-Africa relationship, it looks like in 2018, may undergo some very profound changes, that it moves from a purely economic resource extraction type of relationship into more of a diplomatic, maybe a security, post-conflict resolution, lots of different things. What do you think the visits can tell us about the direction that China-Africa relations has been going since maybe 2013, 2014, and where we might 
see this going in the future? Well, I think what the visits tell us is, in a sense, that we need to start looking at this question in even more detail. Um, I believe that 2018, I, I do think, I agree with you, Eric, that it, it, that it, it is going to be a very important and pivotal year for China Africa relations not only because uh, not only because of the belt and road initiative and in, in a sense the increasing competition with other uh, other regions but also because it is the it is the year of the forum on China Africa cooperation which will be held in September uh, this year in Beijing um, now, FOCAC has been going on since the year 2000. This year, it effectively turns 18. Um, and yet, at the same time, there is very little understanding on the continent and outside of what this relationship really constitutes and what it means. Partly, that's a problem from the Chinese side. Chinese side doesn't issue infographics like this, for example, which would be wonderful if they did, right? Um, but it's it's kind of organizations like mine or, uh, or uh, the um, Johns Hopkins University who put together data as a public good for people to be able to understand what China what the China relationship looks like with the African continent. So I, I think that it does, that the, the relationship will change in a sense out of, out of necessity, but also because hopefully there will be an increasing awareness from the African side of, of what they want and how they can shape the relationship, whether it's through visits or whether um, through other types of, uh, other types of demands uh, on, on China itself. Of course, what we didn't do with the infographic is cover well the other side, which African leaders have visited uh, China. But that tells you a very different story, and it tells you more about something about the resources within the African continent, and also about how you know. Uh, I did a recent article about Kenya's relationship and Zimbabwe's relationship with China, and you know, Zimb Mugabe, for example, visited China uh, a really large. Uh, significant number of times, I believe 13, over 13 times over his, uh, over his tenure, um, whereas the Kenyan state visits have been, have, have been significantly less. That, that tells you a totally different story, but I think we also need to understand better about how China views the continent. And at the moment, uh, we don't, I believe that we don't have enough insight into that. And what I hope to do with, uh, with uh, my team at Development Reimagined is try to bring out more and more of this kind of uh, information, objective, factual information um, that people can digest and use uh, in trying to think about what next for the China-Africa relationship. Um, and looking at all of this data, all of these visits, um, this is a very basic question, but could you get a, a stronger idea of what what the Chinese try to achieve with these visits? Um, because as you, as you point out, they don't necessarily correlate to where their biggest investment is or who has the, mo the most loans from China or where natural resources are necessarily. Um, you know, they're, they're very kind of dotted all over the continent in, in, a, in, a, in a more complicated pattern. So did you get a sense of what, the, what is actually achieved or what are the actual goals of, of using these visits as a tool rather than, say, more, more leadership summits or, or you're not going to have any other kind of tool of diplomacy? Well, take the last, the last set of visits that, um, that Foreign Minister Wang Yi went on. Um, you know, 
that was a set of visits, and this is why you also have to distinguish visits to how many countries, um, because while um, Wang Yi has Wang Yi went to four African countries, and in each of those he didn't spend a great deal of time there. So he really just saw the top leadership in those countries. And of course, if you just got you know one or two short visits, one or one or two short meetings, then you really have to the country really does have to prioritize exactly what it's going to be trying to achieve with that with that meeting. Um, and of course, again, the, the, the type of uh, engagement from the foreign minister is going to be completely different from the type of engagement with a presidential visit, for example. Um, so there is also that distinction, which, you know, we didn't bring out in the infographic. But on the other hand, um, uh, to date, again, the way that, that uh, China's top leadership have engaged with African leadership has been very much on a government-to-government level. Um, in, in my view, uh, I believe that's also why the visits are not necessarily correlated with the largest investments and so on. Only in some cases, and especially when uh, the African leaders visit China, are there more uh, kind of investment investment opportunities and so on. There's more time to discuss those. But when the Chinese leadership goes over, it's much more about uh, it's much more about very kind of top level, uh, much more top level issues, security, uh, any types of risks, key politics in the region, etc. And overarching issues like, do you are you going to be supporting the Belt and Road Initiative? This is what we need from you. Uh, and this is what we can offer if you do support it. So um, those, those I think, are the key, uh, is, is why we see this kind of fairly broad distribution across the continent and not such, not such a concentrated one, um, because it seems that China's strategy is much more uh, to, to try to, to go to a full range, of, full range of countries in the continent. You know, when, when you first told me that you were putting together this infographic, um, I really wasn't expecting that much, to be honest with you, because my assumption was that, um, you know, I've got this figured out. The Chinese go where the money is, because that's kind of what we assume in, in Africa. We assume that the leadership is following where the investments are. So South Africa being the most visited makes sense. That's where there's a high concentration of Chinese assets. Zambia would also make sense. Lots of iron ore investments. But what surprised me about this, and this is why I love China-Africa studies, is that nothing is as it seems. And when you pointed out that 26 of the 33 African countries that are classified as the least developed that the leadership has been to, and yet countries like South Sudan, where the Chinese have an enormous political, diplomatic, and economic uh, stake with the conflict there, they really haven't visited that was confounding as well. And yeah. so once again, we are confronted. Oh, that was a shock to that me That was too. a shock. I mean, it, it wasn't a surprise <laughs> yes. to me that you said that the two countries that still recognize Taiwan, that, you know what, they ain't going there. Of, of course. course. We, we yes, kind of assume yes, that. Yes. Yeah. But in so yeah. many other, uh, other areas of the data that you revealed, uh, it was surprising. And again, I, this is where Kobus and I have these discussions with people who think they've got the China-Africa relationship figured out. China's here to do X. They're here to do Y. There you go. And yet here we have another data point which really confounds people as to what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I guess for the final kind of reflection, what surprised you the most when you kind of put the final touches on your infographic 
and you look and you step back from it all, what was the, the takeaway that you said, wow, didn't see that one coming? Oh, there's so there's so many, Eric, and two of them you've just you've just uh, you've just talked about yourself. Um, the one about the one about the poorest countries in the world, I think, was an important one for me actually. Um, and as a as a kind of as a consultancy which is focused on poverty reduction, that is important. Um, you know, the idea that China. Uh, kind of, it always says that it's prioritizing the poorest countries, but the idea that it is prioritizing the leadership of the poorest countries, that was really quite, um, that, that felt to be significant and, uh, and, and positive, you know, positive for, for the Chinese leadership, um, and, and the kind of example in a way that they're setting, uh, for, for others. Um, but yeah, there were, there were quite a few surprises. I really did expect, uh, I really did expect the visits to be more concentrated, I have to admit. And South Sudan was definitely a surprise. Uh, Libya too, actually, in some ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, my hope is that there's a you know there's there's just a few remaining countries that that would like visits um i i imagine that would be that would be south sudan lesotho you know actually also has quite a lot of chinese uh investment especially from uh from the private sector uh and then uh some of the islands comoros and so on uh despite the fact that china has done one of its most important aid projects uh and, and significant aid projects in terms of malaria reduction in Comoros, the leadership hasn't been there. So uh, these could be some interesting places for the leadership to head in the next few years. Who does China prioritize? It's a fascinating infographic that you can find over at developmentreimagined.com. That's developmentreimagined.com. It was put together by Hannah Ryder and her team there, which is this international development consultancy. Brand new. You're only, what, a few months old now or... Yes, just a few months old. So, you know, we're, we're gathering well, steam. <laughs> exciting times, exciting times. So if people want to check out this infographic, you can either head over to my LinkedIn page or check out Development Reimagine. This is going to be the first of what we hope will be a number of these infographics because it is absolutely fascinating to see this data point. Hannah, if people want to follow the work that you're doing at Development Reimagined, how can they stay in touch with you? Yeah, they can stay in touch with me personally uh, on Twitter, WeChat, and uh, uh, or using at HMRider. And they can also uh, follow our uh, Development Reimagined uh, Twitter site, which is a Twitter handle, which is DevReimagined, at DevReimagined. I highly recommend it. Hannah is posting a lot of great content there. I follow her very closely on Twitter, and so she's an invaluable resource in the China-Africa space. And uh, just one little shout out that you and I are both on the advisory board now of the China-Africa Technology Initiative, I think it is, Caddy, uh, with Stephanie Zhu. And so uh, yes. just give a little shout out there. So that's really exciting. Some some really lots of new and cool things that are happening in the China-Africa space, develop, re development reimagined, and the China-Africa Technology Initiative. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us from Beijing. Congratulations on both the getting development reimagined off the ground and your first infographic out. Thank you so much. Great to speak to you, Eric and Kobus. Kobus, we often talk about how the Chinese are playing by a different set of rules. And that may be in some cases in a political context where they're building the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank to rival the World Bank, or they are building the Belt and Road as a way to facilitate trade that is to their advantage. But there's another part of this that I think Hannah's research revealed, which is this highly personal form of diplomacy and politics. And it's a way that is very, very unfamiliar to Americans and to Europe. 
Europeans, in my view, this is my take, that we as Westerners have relied on the institutions, the IMF, the World Bank, the UN, to help promote our foreign policy. The Chinese have not had that luxury to be able to do that. So they have instead really created these these very deep personal relationships with people like Robert Mugabe, with people like uh, you know, even Jacob Zuma and some of the and, and some other African leaders, and it's a highly personal thing. And I think, in so many ways, these visits represents a different way of conducting diplomacy that is largely unfamiliar to Americans. There's a saying in Chinese, relationships are important, and and really, you cannot overstate how much this this matters to the Chinese, this highly personal form of politics. And I think it's unfamiliar to the West. I think it's very, very familiar to Africans and to South Asians and Middle Easterners uh, and Latin Americans. Uh, but it's a different way of doing politics in international diplomacy. I agree. It's. I think it's very important to for, for everyone to, to look at the way that China does what it does you know it's 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 very important to look at the the kind of rituals the patterns that emerge from Chinese practices over a long time, because you know one of the one of the key moments in China-Africa relationships relationship was is in um, 1963, when um, then Premier Zhou Enlai went on this massive African tour, like country by country by country. It went on for a long time, and just made all of these alliances. And since then, there has been the use of visits and you know actually meeting in person has been this important tool for the Chinese, even as they themselves have gone through massive. Of crazy radical changes, you know, from one system to the other, and and so on. So I think it's it's really important to to see what endures and what uh, you know which which patterns keep repeating in the China Africa relationship because that I think reveals a lot about the nature of the relationship itself. But look at how they have managed some of the personal relationships over the past ten years. Take Michael Sada, the former, the late president and opposition leader in Zambia, who for so much of his later part of his career defined himself as the as the ultimate opponent of China. And then when he became president, the Chinese very deftly handled him uh, and turned him into one of really Africa's biggest supporters of China. What, how they stood by Robert Mugabe when the rest of the world turned their backs on him, on, on Mugabe, and really worked hard to isolate him. The Chinese were very, very loyal right till the end. And the, and part of it is politics. Part of it is diplomacy. Part of it is standing up to the West. Sure, that's all there. But there's another part of it that I think is an intangible. It's personal. Relationships matter. And, and they've done that. I mean, you look at what they did in Zimbabwe, because for a long time, we thought, you know what, they're so tight with Mugabe, that the, when he goes down, the Chinese relationship in Zimbabwe is going to go down with him. And lo and behold, they've come up winners on that one, aces with the new administration. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with these personal relationships. Uh, that just cannot be understated. And it is a hard thing for people to understand that going back and having FaceTime with people and exchanging gifts and studying each other's countries and really paying attention and studying the languages, which the Chinese are doing better now. And I'm not saying this to, 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 to flatter the Chinese. I'm just, I'm more impressed by their introducing a different way at a level of diplomacy that we are generally not accustomed to seeing. And that's the part that I think is interesting. Final thoughts from you, Kobus. I think it's also really important not to underestimate how badly Africa is frequently treated, um, you know, and how, how much I think Africa 
you know, it's difficult to how to put it, but I think there is a kind of a a, a preoccupation in Africa with you know with just insults, you know, frequently from the West, and not even in particularly directed insults, but just kind of slightly shabby treatment, or just being very clear that you are not on anyone's list of priorities. You know, you know the the impossibility of getting a, a one-on-one, you know, ten minutes with with a secretary of state, for example, the way that African leaders are always met in groups, um, and so you know, so something like the the recent like Donald Trump's recent comments. I mean, that just went ballistic in Africa. The, the, the amount of press it got was crazy, um, you know. So, and, and I mean, you know, especially considering you know how many crazy things Donald Trump says, that one really landed. It really made people very angry, and so well, you know, and, you know, understandably, and it's, it's prompted a visit. And it's prompted an, an, a visit from Rex Tillerson, exactly. who Donald Trump said in, to help repair the relationship, he's going to deploy his Secretary of State. So in this case, I think the Americans also value some, I guess, some kind of FaceTime in Africa. Yeah, no, exactly. But but the, the kind of the repeated ritual and the you know the the the, the one-on-one meeting and the you know the the rolling out of, of the entire pageantry, all of that stuff, it really it really counts. Um, you know, in, in, for for a continent that doesn't get that kind of treatment elsewhere, and you know. And I think you, one can't underestimate that. So what do you think? Do these visits matter? Is it just window dressing? Is it just diplomacy? Is it just politics as usual? Or is there something more substantive there? Take a look at the infographic. We would love to hear what you think about my position, Kobus's position. We have a great discussion going on on all of our social media platforms. This is also a topic that we raise every week in our email newsletter that goes out on Mondays. If you haven't signed up for it, uh, please do go over to ChinaAfricaProject.com or you can find it on our uh, Facebook page at Facebook.com slash ChinaAfricaProject. Also, one other key thing, uh, if you're a listener of this podcast and you get it from Apple Podcasts, but you are a big listener of Spotify, uh, we're now on Spotify, and so you can listen to us there. And Cobus, ten uh, percent now of our downloads are coming from YouTube, so you can find us every week on YouTube as well. So YouTube, Spotify, of course, Apple Podcasts—those are the main place to listen. But we would love to have you join, share, and rate us. Rating us also helps, just because. Well, they tell us it helps us move up in the hierarchy, and so that more people can see us and hopefully experience the show. So we would be so grateful for the feedback. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. For Kobus van Staden, I'm Eric Olander. Thank you so much for listening. The discussion continues online. Head over to facebook.com slash China Africa Project to share your thoughts on today's show. The guys are also on Twitter, where you can find Kobus at Stadinsky or Eric at E. Olander. And be sure to sign up for the weekly China in Africa email newsletter by going to www.chinaafricaproject.com. <laughs>